everybody and welcome to the Munich Blockchain Stampede. Oktoberfest wasn't possible this year for obvious reasons, so I brought together two of my favorite Germans to talk about another of my favorite topics, which is blockchain and IoT, the Internet of Things, the second most popular podcast episode on blockchain won't save the world was the episode focused on IOTA. And so we have Holger from the IOTA Foundation here. We have Sebastian Becker from Riddle and Code. And before we get started, give us a quick introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us a little bit about the organizations that you represent. Holger, kick us off. Hello, everyone. My name is Holger Köter. I'm located in Germany. I'm the director for partnerships and projects at the IOTA Foundation. I have a history in traditional enterprise IT, coming from a project management consulting background, and then Siemens leading a couple of managed services uh, at Atos. I joined the IOTA Foundation mid-2018, and I'm responsible for the market adoption department together with my colleague, so essentially answering all the questions which are coming to us from external parties for enterprises, how to integrate IOTA into the technology stack answer those in a targeted fashion, support those enterprises, grant applications, grant implementation, or any other sort of implementation. And it has been like quite a ride uh, over the last three years, but it's also like a lot of fun and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invite, Anthony. Thanks, Holger. Sebastian. Where was our Blockchain Save the World podcast in your ranking? Behind I'm Iota, I see. Okay. But it, okay. It, was, it was high. It was, <laughs> of, of course. So welcome everybody to to my hometown, Munich. Uh, Holger is one autobahn hour north in Nuremberg. So happy to talk to you all today. I'm Sebastian Becker, uh, Chief Commercial Officer at Riddle and Code, which is a Vienna-based company. So if it's not Corona, I'm I'm commuting a lot. My background is been an innovation consultant in the media industry for almost 20 years. Joined Riddle and Code early 2017, where I'm responsible for sales and business development. And since we have a few USPs, uh, namely blockchain-specific hardware, we also service several industries, uh, starting in the banking industry, uh, in the fintech space, the energy sector, the mobility sector, and supply chain materials, etc. So there's a lot to do. It's quite exciting. And as you put it, it's been quite the ride. It certainly has. And before we get into the content, I am going to ask you guys an icebreaker question. This is a stampede, so you better expect a rodeo-related question. If you were to continue the rest of this episode with one item of cowboy-related clothing, what would it be? You've got plenty to choose from. You've got the, the tassel shirts, the jackets, the leather chaps on the jeans, the boots, the hat. If you were going to wear one item of cowboy clothing for the rest of this episode, what would you be putting on for your stampede outfit? I'd probably put on the leather jacket uh, simply because the well, uh, winter is coming. This is one reason, so very practical reason. The Germans always like to think practical. Keeps you warm, cozy, it looks good. Love that from you, Holger. Sebastian, surprise us. What would you put on? Yeah, of course, the boots, they're made for walking, uh, the chaps as well, and of course, the cowboy hat. My CEO, Alexander, is a big fan of one of the Bitcoin maximalists, Jimmy Sung, you know him as well, always wearing the cowboy hat, so... That's obviously a must-have in this industry. Nice one. And I think I'm going to have the holster, the gun holster around the waist in case over the course of the episode there's any shots fired. 
All right, guys, enough of the nonsense. Let's get into the content because I know everyone's waiting to hear and get your expertise on blockchain and the Internet of Things. A lot of people understand blockchain as a distributed ledger or crypto or public blockchains and the value that can provide in terms of trust, in terms of peer-to-peer -peer networks, in terms of decentralization. But where does IoT fit into this story? The Internet of Things, devices, help us understand how this plays together or where the benefits of providing blockchain and IoT together can add or accelerate or be a force multiplier for transformation. Of course, blockchain tech is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And typically in most complex industrial projects, we will see a, a multitude of technology that has to work together. But basically, we talk about IoT and blockchain. It's about basically the Oracle problem. What's the benefit of cryptographically secured blockchain, which is basically a, a pimped database? We all know about the advantages. But if you just um, manage data in a highly secure way, then you still don't know a lot about the origin of the data. Where is it coming from? Is it correct data? Uh, has the measurements been correct? So from our point of view, you need to secure the data source, which is typically either a sensor or a machine or a vehicle, or it could be human data entry, which is always a bit more complex because there's more room for, let's call it error. But if we talk about the machine world, then we need to make sure that we get reliable and, and, and trustworthy data coming from trusted data sources. And, and that's what we can achieve with blockchain hardware technology, put a crypto chip into a device or put it uh, next to it, encrypt the data right where they see the day of light at the chip level and then forward them into the blockchain. And that's how you solve the Oracle problem. Very good. Thank you so much for that. Holger, give us your build on this. I know IOTA has been championing this space for a very long time. What's your kind of short summary of the value case of IoT plus blockchain? So I'm going to build on what Sebastian has been saying because data should be secured directly at the source. And essentially, when we are looking at how the devices were getting smaller, how more deep learning capability, artificial intelligence is being put into these devices. And my example is Emma, is always that Google managed to essentially condense 120 gigabyte cloud voice recognition data into 10 gigabyte directly on the Android phone. So it's a better user experience because data doesn't need to be sent to the cloud. It's uh, faster, it's saving network capability uh, for Google. They can outtask the computational power to the phone directly, not towards the data centers. And we are seeing this in a couple of industries. You have drones which are starting to inspect bridges, for example, or doing an inventory of a warehouse. We have uh, Alexa, for example. And these are all indications how the edge device, so everything which is essentially not is centered in a data center is starting to become more autonomous and can start to interact with users. And now the next step is, well, today they interact with users. Tomorrow they're going to interact uh, maybe with other devices as well. And then the question is always, how trustworthy is the data coming from these devices? Has it been manipulated? Because there could be life and death decisions made from these devices on these devices if they're in a, in a security critical environment, but it could also be like just a drone making a decision based on a certain deep learning algorithm. So the question is then, was it ethical to do this decision uh, as well? And how can this data on which this decision making be secured, but also how does the data, data interchange in this whole ecosystem start to happen? Because it will not always happen in silos. We have seen that silos are breaking, that silo tech is just getting 
hacked at a central point and then uh, the, the gates are open and can get uh, manipulated. And typically the last thing the hacker is doing is always deleting all the log files. But when you are now taking into account that you can decentralize essentially these key functionalities from central systems onto the edge devices by themselves, which are starting to get more empowered, they're starting to get smarter, they're starting to take economic uh, activities and doing actions then suddenly you're starting to see a use for DLT because you can secure the data directly at the source and you can enable this device in a trusted manner to share data, receive data, but also initiate or receive payments. And this is where DLT with the trustless aspect essentially comes in because it opens a whole new array of communication and interaction for those devices. Brilliant. And I was hoping you were going to go there because I think it's not just about ledger tech and IoT devices anymore. It's also how does decentralization of certain activity or the way that you manage certain processes also elevate what you're trying to achieve? Right? If we're talking about the nuclear industry, the one thing that they're going to typically do is to centralize as much as possible, put it in the control of as few people as possible and hoover everything into a single place. Because yeah. that that was that was our traditional approach to security. Same story with health data. Same story with with sensitive supply chains. To some extent, you know, the the human reaction is, oh my god, this is sensitive. We're going to put it all into a really small box that, and try and protect that box as much as we possibly can. And in a number of use cases, that still remains appropriate. But that decentralization approach to being able to provide better visibility, better data, better transparency, better real time information at the edge, becomes super powerful. I'm conscious we're talking an example, we're talking in theory at the moment, and I want to get us into use cases. So let's go through as best we can, your favorite, your most relevant, your most interesting examples of how you're working with blockchain and IoT today. Sebastian, do you want to kick us off with the Riddle and Code story? Yeah, sure. One addition to what you said about centralization, uh, we often hear, you know, there are no real blockchain use cases or not a lot of meaningful blockchain use cases out there. The centralization paradigm is, is one of the reasons for that, because typically, especially if you start to work with uh, big corporations, tier ones, tier twos, then at the beginning, you have this internal discussion yeah, and have to overcome the centralists, etc. So it, it's quite cumbersome because maybe the first year is typically spent with strategy discussions. And then immediately you have something like a, an IT change project roadmap. And only then you start to, or you are working on, you know, what you really have in mind. So one one good example for this, even though in this specific case we didn't really have to convince our customer Wien Energy a lot. Uh, they are Austria's leading energy company, and we just recently in June commercially launched. So this is beyond a POC and MVP stage. Commercially launched a tokenization of Austria's largest photovoltaic park in the greater Viennese area. And in this tokenization project, we did two things. We basically installed a trusted gateway next to the physical PV arrays. And with the crypto chip that is built into the gateway, we are able to give the specific physical assets a tamper-proof identity. This is then used to launch an asset token. So just the normal you and me, Wien Energy customers can buy into this and become a shareholder. And then based on, on your share, you are getting kilowatt hour tokens, a utility token in a software wallet that is part of the Wien Energy smartphone app. So you as a consumer can in the future use these tokens to lower your direct bill with Wien Energy or you can redeem it for services with a specific group of companies that are collaborating on this. 
and we are quite proud because you know it has taken us two and a half years to build this uh, basically from scratch. It's also a hybrid project, so it shows blockchain interoperability between BigchainDB, which is used for registry of the hardware components and metadata management, and also the energy web chain, which is used for the smart contracting here, because you have to show in a certain industry that you are working with the leaders and that you are compatible, even though you think that some superior technical capabilities will maybe come from another component and not from the you know, standard platform in that sector. And that has been great to not only see this hitting the shelves, basically, so and also being a great success on the sales front, but also because we are coming with this at the right point of time. Also, the Austrian government has increased their carbon reduction goals. So all of a sudden... Many companies, including our partner Wien Energy, see that all the projects in the pipeline would not be sufficient to reach these goals. So to have a token out there to drive a certain desired behavior in the IoT slash, in this case, energy context, is certainly helpful to accelerate the change that we're all undergoing or that we're trying to trigger. It's super interesting because what you described could happen with that token. It could be utility. It could be a hedge, right? You could keep that and claim that back depending on energy demand at certain times. You could even use that as a kind of a loyalty point equivalent, right? That token, that representative kilowatt has a value at some point, but that can be traded in the way that you can trade Doge for Bitcoin. I think it's super fascinating. Holger, obviously IOTA has been synonymous with the automotive industry for a long time, but you guys are doing an awful lot more than that. I don't want to lead the witness, but where would you like to start with some of the more interesting use cases that you've been working on? I think quite interesting is global trade and supply chain, simply because it utilizes the one of the core aspects of DLT. So bringing together actors on a certain chain or in a value chain, business value chain, which do not inherently like trust each other. Essentially utilizing DLT gives the means to transfer or transition processes like paper-based processes with easy to fake trade certifications towards digital certifications. So there's a huge loss uh, in the trade industry every year and having the means to technically create this chain of trust without even exposing the different actors on this chain, but working towards an understanding like where is my container? Is it in the harbor or is it still on the ship, essentially, which gives companies the ability to understand where their stuff is so that they can evaluate it for just-in-time delivery to integrate into their own factories and so on, that they have the goods there without really exposing the actors so that these actors in the middle cannot be cannibalized by larger players, for example. So this is certainly one of the largest or one of the most innovative turnarounds, I think. So we are working with uh, Trademark East Africa, for example, to establish like a large trade uh, pipeline project together with them to connect Africa towards the rest of the world. And this is quite interesting because Africa has always been like a synonym that they are like lacking so much behind in technical innovation. And this is now rapidly changing because they have the means to just digitize everything. And with IOTA as an open source technology, so you don't have to pay a fee, you don't have to watch an advertisement uh, before you want to use it. 
essentially we have the capability to go to all of these stakeholders and very easily integrate them into a global data backbone. There's no need for complicated one-to-one interfaces with all of these stakeholders or parties anymore. We have the standards with GS1, for example, as the leading trade standard. We have the actors on the chain. We know these actors and everybody is interested in getting more transparency, in avoiding more risk and essentially streamlining the processes. And this is where the big advantages come in from DLT, also with smart contracts and so on, because you can automate on a whole new level. And when you look at automation just over the past, I don't want to say like 50 years or 100 years, then automation was always the biggest driver for economic incentives in the end. And I don't think that this is going to change that much. So we are developing a technology which has the capability to strongly automate our whole environment what we are currently working in and decreasing the risk. And for me, this is not only global trend supply chain, but this goes like across all the different industries. You can take uh, agricultural stuff where you can have sensors in the ground which transfer the ground temperature or the dryness of the ground through LoRaWAN. You can secure this directly on a ledger. It can talk autonomously to the ledger. And then you could initiate, uh, I would say, watering actions based on this to have a higher degree on return on your crops. You have the automotive sector where you have the whole vehicle to X communication, how cars are going to interact when they are becoming more self-aware and with mobility as a service platforms. How far away are we from seeing crypto wallets in cars? I know know, IOTA and even Ridland Code also have been pioneering a lot of the work there. Do Do we feel close? Do we feel like the industry is ready for tokenization and payments from vehicles as machines or people and vehicles together? The technology problem can be solved in the next like two or three years. But where I see the hurdles is that regulation needs to catch up because it's still a big red flag for companies or enterprises to actually hold cryptocurrency, buy cryptocurrency. It's a huge pain in the neck for them. So it's a combination of things which need to be resolved. And I also expect that then the corresponding tech will be ready in the next uh, one or two or three years and then we will also going to see it in production. The signs are getting, or the pop-ups are getting more and more often when you read about it in the media. We are just about to, to issue the third generation of our car wallet. So please watch the news in, in October. There will be new announcements coming from us. But I think the industry is still struggling, especially here in Europe. Uh, you know, they cannot collaborate like they were used to do it so there are of course you know the watchdogs are certainly supervising the whole industry and you saw that the different teams that were building up blockchain know-how are still a bit isolated within these big companies because they had other trouble in the core business but now with Gaia X and Catena X we are having European platforms where everybody is trying again to collaborate, but it might take some time until the strategy is ready. But you can go over the top, something we've seen, for example, in the media business where Netflix, you know, didn't lay pipes and and became the next cable network provider. The infrastructure is there, the cars are there. It's about providing a way to the industry how they can trade data or exchange data in a way that is not threatening the industry secrets of of the corporations, but is also allowing the the drivers, us as citizens, to participate. And and that's what at least we are going to try to do. 
to the different use cases that Holger was mentioning, I wanted to add a, a few things. So yes, supply chain is terribly important. We're just working in the German chemical industry to link product identification also through hardware tagging solutions with automated settlement layers. So that's coming. People are starting to prepare for, for the digital euro. So to connect the supply chain layer and the settlement layer, that's of course a great benefit for more business efficiency. And then we, we also see circular economy regimes, you know, different recycling regimes are being implemented. We have a plastic tax on the European level that is right now swallowed by member states in, in almost all countries. But of course, this will also hit the industry and the end consumers. So you have to use product identification in order to prove that you have a recycling quota and that you will get tax relief or, or however this is going to be structured. But positively speaking, you can use tokens or other means to incentivize desired behavior, be it in the recycling environment or in supply chain. So those are a few things that we are working on. And then again, if you look at the larger political picture, the energy provenance case that I was referring to, once you can prove that energy is really green, then automatically you can provide a meaningful input to basically all industry players and their CFOs that have to worry about the effect of CO2 certificate trading or fees for the amount of CO2 their fleet, for example, is, is producing over lifetime. And then things really start to get moving. Somewhere in the middle of this, you're also talking about kind of a, a European-wide infrastructure. We were talking about standards. And both IOTA and Riddle and & Code have both recently been announced as participating in a rather interesting European-wide project. I wonder if, if you guys could talk to us a little bit about EBSI. Holger, do you want to just give us the background to the project? You know, What is it you guys have proposed and what solutions are we trying to address with blockchain and IoT at a European level? Yeah, so uh, EBSI uh, is the European Blockchain Service Infrastructure, and it's essentially how the member states want to digitize certain processes, they, how they want to uh, collaborate to exchange data uh, information, and then also build a couple of, like, or essentially extend the network at one point, also towards more commercial players. And at the moment, everything is running on a, a permission technology. And there has been a tender by the European Commission how this scenario should look like because they're seeing how this is coming to its technological limits. So there has been a, a tender how this could be done over the next eight and 10 years when we are really talking about uh, millions of transactions per second. And with IOTA, so the IOTA Foundation in general is one of the world's leading research organizations for distributed ledger technology because there's like blockchain and the directed acyclic graph as the large uh, two components under DLT. I would even say like for the directed acyclic graph topics, we are the world's uh, leading uh, organization. The question was, how could the scenario look like in the future? And we have laid out a very highly scalable concept, how we can achieve these millions of transactions per second due to the IOTA structure or the underlying structure, how we envision it, we describe what needs to be developed in order to run this, describe different aspects, also going into security topics, for example, going into governance models, essentially everything what you need to address this scenario as a whole. I think our application was like over like 100 pages long. At the moment, we are working together with the European Commission. So the European Commission has selected seven winners for this first phase. It's going to have three phases. 
And in the first phase, we're going to essentially describe what we are going to do, what we're going to build in more detail in phase two. And then there's a phase two and a phase three, where essentially the thing gets built. So it's going to be a project uh, over a couple of years. We are very happy to, to be selected and looking forward to delivering. Very good, Holger. Thank you. And congratulations, Sebastian. Anything to build on that in terms of why are they looking at IoT or what's the role of IoT in that wider infrastructure? Anything to build on what Holger said? Well, there are many use cases that the European Commission is highlighting, ranging from IP registries over product passports. Um, They're working on a European product passport. So basically every good that reaches to European borders should be registered or at least should be able to be registered, of course, depending on the freight in the end. But that is leading to millions and billions of transactions per second or per minute, because this number is really extraordinarily large. And and that's why a new architecture is is needed. You know, Holger was referring to the current EPSI that was built using two other technology stacks. And I think the commission realized they are neither the most European or the most up-to-date versions of it, but interoperability is key. And if we look at, you know, layer one, layer two technologies, we see a lot of activities happening now on the layer two. EPSI is, is focusing on, on the layer one here and on the layer zero, you know, hardware. How can we connect the physical world with the underlying service infrastructure? And this is, of course, meant primarily to service the public players so that all member states can tap into this and don't have to reinvent the wheel again again and again and then hopefully lots of applications will be built on on the future epsi architecture and so we're happy to collaborate and, and compete a little bit with iota here but of course it's up to the wisdom of the european commission to to make hopefully both of us move forward and, and then we'll have year and a half from, from end of this year onwards to test and, and also build out the first chunks of this infrastructure. Thank you so much for that, guys. And again, I think important for the audience to realize that actually the type of technology we're talking about, the technology architectures, the combinations that we're talking about here are genuinely in the eyes and minds of regulators. There are active projects underway to scale out these sorts of capabilities to address national or cross-national problems where you've got things like standards, you've got cross-borders, you've got different public and private entities working together. These are complex challenges, and it's very positive that everybody sees the private sector use cases progressing at a certain pace, but we also need to have that national or international infrastructure ready too. And if, if you allow, there's another component I think that is important. If you just look at the pure blockchain network architecture, then of course, you know, it will be a bit hard for practitioners, not only in the European Commission level, but also at the industry levels to really work with this if everybody would need to you know build their own extensions of it or uh, add it into their backend so the fact that for example we can provide banking grade technology that is certified and is supporting the financial sector to trade securely and exchange value securely that's of course also part of this architecture discussion what's the backend uh, how is key management done for all of this and, and holger referred to the throughput scalability which is also terribly important so it's really not only a a one level thing, as you can imagine, if really Europe wants to run on this service infrastructure, then there's a lot to think about. And I think it, it also makes sense, like from a geopolitical point of view, because at the moment, if you look around, we have the large providers in the US and in Asia. 
but Europe's critical infrastructures are still relying essentially on those providers. And when you look at the sponsored programs, like we mentioned Gaia-X, for example, as a European service and cloud infrastructure where we participate, we look at EPSI, then Europe is really putting a lot of emphasis on catching up. There's also the whole chip manufacturing uh, program, which is going to start probably one, one day. But there are like a couple of those, like really, or like smart city platforms is, is another one, which is going to kick off at one point. But Europe is like really looking to catch up to the US and Asia. And there's going to be a lot of funding towards those platform to provide really a holistic approach for all the member states. We live in interesting times, but I think a lot of things to be positive for. Before we close, guys, I'd love you to share with the audience some of your must-dos or received wisdom from working in this space for as long as you have. Blockchain and IoT projects are not simple. We've heard some of the examples of the challenges in the, in the course of this conversation, but if you were to pick your top one or two or three recommendations for those people in blockchain, startups, in industry, in government, what would be your recommendations? It's not an easy one, but thanks for the, for the question. I think aligning really on your you know, end goal. The vision is terribly important, especially if we talk about industrial projects. You know, sometimes you just work with a unit, but they, of course, also have their inner political agenda within their companies. So make sure that you not only understand your direct counterpart, but also, you know, their position within a company or a consortium. And then once this is clear, really, you have to worry about the technical details, not only those of today, but also those of tomorrow, you know, quantum computing is coming up. What does it mean for the cybersecurity aspect of the things we're doing? We talked about central bank digital currencies, digital euro will come one day in either in the public or in the private form. What does this mean? Because it immediately changes the bottom line of blockchain projects. If you then basically have a company-wide efficiency program that the CFO and his department will have to do anyways at some point of time. And these discussions are, are really important. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm surprised because, of course, I'm not an industry expert in all the industries we're working in. If you think about what's the business model behind the use case, then for, as an outsider, you just see, you know, this is the cost, uh, this is the new service option or business option you have there. But sometimes blockchain projects are really sponsored by indirect effects. For example, you know, the energy industry, if you notarize energy at a production level, and then you also notarize where it's consumed. And if this is happening nearby, then you save a lot of, you know, network cost as an energy provider. And, and then you can, of course, find a way to share this with the end customers. So this notarization, critical infrastructure that is basically self-notarizing itself is leading to sometimes surprising direct and indirect effects. All the research Holger has mentioned that IOTA is doing and others are doing are, of course, leading to a situation where more and more people understand that blockchain is not a, a single dimension tech. It's part of a mix. Uh, it has multi-dimensional effects. And, and the more dimensions you tap into, the bigger, uh, let's say, the numbers at the bottom line uh, can potentially be. Holger, you've had a chance to prepare your answer while Sebastian's been talking. <laughs> and you, you said earlier, a lot of the technical components of how we knit blockchain, IoT, and digital identity solutions have pretty much been solved for. So what are some of the must-dos or the, the good advice that you would give to those looking to bring these two technology types together? So from my point of view, looking back over the last three years, there are some patterns which I recognize. 
and they might sound a little bit cheesy from the from the startup bible or something like this essentially the first one is like don't ride the dead horse but you need to find a niche where blockchain or dlt actually matters in 99% maybe it doesn't even matter and you're better off with a with a centralized solution much more than the niche is the team so my experience over the last 20 years is a good team or an excellent team can build you anything when they have the right spirit and when they have the right expertise and especially in the cutting edge area or bleeding edge area it's not a nine to five job so you need to find people which are really like in it uh, also a bit uh, with their with their heart to make this succeed to want to be the first ones to solve something and the third one is not really like fail fast but iterate fast so quite a nice example is that we have rewritten the whole iota uh, protocol from the scratch relaunched it like in april this year with everything we have learned from the three years before which was incredibly uh, valuable and then essentially have a long breath because depending on where you go so the industry is slow regulations are just slow also when you look at like especially on uh, healthcare or in the energy area there are still like outside of germany a lot of member states are just like allowing the wireless transfer for example but in germany it seems to be a bit of a problem to allow the same types of wireless uh, transfer with loravan and so on so be aware that there are regulations and that industries are not moving as fast as you will expect them and then depending on where you go if it's more traditional industries or i mean like with dlt there's always the whole defi space which is again working on completely different principles than traditional markets you just need to understand the market and what you are dealing with and essentially how your environment is set up and reflect this and transfer it to your own way of working and then when you have a great team you will have quite a problem in actually failing because there's a very high tendency that you will be successful in the end Thank you very much for those gents and anybody out there looking to bring together a great team focused on IoT and blockchain. You've got a couple of people on this show that may well be worth making a call to, so please do. I would add on top of a couple of those points, I think when you're working with oracles or when you're working with IoT or digital identity particularly, there's going to be a number of things that are worth thinking about ahead of time, particularly standards, data communication standards, the specific messaging packages that are being shared, how that relates to the ledger or to the the various different communication channels that you're going to be sending messages and packages to the challenges around trust around permissioning right just because an identity of a device is available on a network doesn't necessarily mean that it's 100 guaranteed to be trusted so how do we manage the integrity of the provisioning and management of devices as they're on the network if they need to be identified or if they need to have trust associated with them particularly when it comes to payments then the usual blockchain rules apply actually it's the people and the governance and the funding and is there a commercial case for scaling these activities yes we know we could probably strap a 5g iot device to every container on the planet if we really wanted to but who's paying for it my view in in 99% of the blockchain projects that fail it wasn't the technology that was the problem it was that either somebody ran out of funding to continue pursuing it or didn't think around the scaling strategy at the beginning even in the current thinking, right? Holger, you talked about pivoting midway through, but you know, at least in a, in a two to three year horizon, does this pay for itself or can we justify paying for it? Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. 
stay safe out there.